0: Hi, my name is Mark and welcome to The Active Listener, where we aim to listen, not just hear. We firmly believe that everyone has an interesting story to tell, if given the space to do so. So listening to what our guests have to say, you may learn something. So welcome back, Leah, for part two of our podcast. How are you?
1: Very well, thank you. Um, I'm really happy to be here. I was very much looking forward to this conversation.
0: Excellent. Thank you. So, yes, yeah, good to have you back. And we're going to be moving on to talk a little bit about leadership. And I know you had something specific in mind. So unpack that a little bit for me.
1: Yes. Um, well, where I wanted to go today was really around the responsibility that we have towards other people's development um, and so perhaps the best way of framing this conversation would be um, as a leader where do your responsibilities start and stop with your team's development and the reason I was delving into that is because I've had a number of conversations um, with people who tend to take responsibility for the actual development of their own staff and when their own staff or colleagues or teammates either refuse that development or aren't ready for it or don't engage in a development trajectory, it can be lived as a personal failure to have engaged in our team's um development and it can be seen as you know is it because your leadership is not of good enough quality that people don't become the very best version of themselves so i thought it was because this conversation has happened quite a few times i wanted to um perhaps provide a an idea as to what you're responsible for as a leader and where those responsibilities stop, um, with um, with your your teammates or colleagues or the people that you're responsible for.
0: Yeah, that sounds very interesting and good because certainly where I work, uh, and certainly in the past where I've worked, we've always had some sort of structure in terms of cult, uh, staff development and discussion we'd call them continuous conversations or 360 degree feedback and various companies take different stances on that it could be right I've identified these are your learning points and I think you should work on these others would be much more from the point of view of the, the colleague saying I've identified this and we would kind of work together in it so what in your opinion would be the way forward?
1: So I think there's um the 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 leader in a team so say you have um, a team and you're in that position where people report into you um, it's understanding what you what does fall onto your desk and what you are responsible for and what is of their own responsibility. Um, so I had a conversation recently with someone who was in charge of uh, four. Uh, people, a, a team of four. And her subliminal belief was that the quality of her leadership and the quality of the atmosphere that she provided for her team should be sufficient for people to become the very best version of themselves. So when the frustration came that that wasn't happening because even though she had a very supportive and inclusive environment for her team people still had the same limiting self-beliefs their lack of confidence um she took it almost took it personally because she felt that um, she wasn't capable of getting them to the next stage so there was a piece of reassurance that that wasn't her job and that requires a very specific skill set that she does not possess because it's not her day job and so her taking responsibility for something that isn't her job and that she doesn't have the skills for but yet taking all the guilt and the feeling of of failure um, for me was actually quite heartbreaking so I had to reassure her that people's development a they have to want it and B, there are people who know how to do this, who do this all day long, and that's their role. So um, I thought a lot about what I would, if I had to have that conversation again, what I would um, share with her. So one is that we're all responsible for ourselves. So as... um, a CEO myself, it's my responsibility to ensure that I do continual professional development, that I get coached, that I ensure that I'm always um, trying to improve um, and that I'm constantly learning because things constantly change. So I have to keep being able to adapt, so I have to know about them, I have to learn new things. But that's my responsibility. It's no one else's job to make sure it happens. And it's no one else's jobs to make me want that. So it's my responsibility to take my own development. But I achieve that by going to professionals who can help me with that development. It's not for me to do it on my own. And why that sentence is important is because it's also my colleague's responsibility to do that to take um, ownership of their own development. So, yes, so the the next um, uh, piece is that it's my job to ensure that I create an environment where um, learning and development and coaching is seen as a good thing, that there are lots of advantage um, to it, that it's not taboo. There's still a very big... Um, uh, stigma perhaps around personal development and coaching that it's seen as you know if you're going there it's because you need to be fixed it's because you can't do it on your own so for me I'm very very open with the fact that I get coaching that I get counseling um, that uh, I learn. so last year I was on three different training programs to learn new skills so not not development but skills training so I was on a Um, sales and marketing uh, training courses and three different ones Um, so that's my responsibility to make sure that other people know that learning and development is a wonderful thing and all of the new things it brings and I can see you know, people got excited when I'd learned these new sales and marketing skills. They can start implementing them and then suddenly they want to learn more about it. And then they're forthcoming um, with their requests for their own development. But if they weren't, there's, you know, you can only bring a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. So there's nothing personal against me. It's not because I'm not necessarily doing it um properly or well enough it might just be that that person isn't in a place right there in their life where they're interested or available for any any development my responsibility really is to create an atmosphere so where that growth is um important well is encouraged because necessarily growth comes with making mistakes with trying something and, you know, being a bit um, uneasy with it to start with. So making sure that people uh, feel safe uh, in trying new things, that they are um, welcomed with new initiatives uh, and that, you know, there is a very supportive atmosphere around them to enable them to, to engage in their own learning.
0: It seems to me it's much more about a cultural thing. We're creating a space where people feel comfortable to initiate training, to ask for training. In fact, we're encouraging that space within training so that then people are growing and there's an excitement and a buzz where people can help one another out. And I guess where you're talking about responsibility, perhaps as a CEO, is that you're modeling that or that you'll help instigate that culture and and feed it because then by each of us taking responsibility for ourselves we grow and then make the team a better one to work within
1: absolutely and i had that on my on my list that you know that leading by example it's not by be- me being perfect and knowing everything it's me admitting that i don't know everything and that i need to go and get some training because i think that's still quite um an assessment that CEOs should know everything but if you go and get some training and development it means you didn't know everything so can we still trust you in that position up there where you're supposed to to know everything so I think it's a very strong message in itself you know that um continual learning is a good thing that as a CEO no I don't know everything and um you know, that constant curiosity and willingness to engage in new territory um, is a good thing. And I'm making that message, I'm sharing that message to everyone in my team that at every level, learning and trying new things and admitting that we don't know mm. is, is a good thing. And it's what we do about it
0: after. How do you strike the balance between absolute honesty in the sense of look you know I'm still learning this I'm not an expert I'm referring to so and so over there or I need your help on this and that fostering a sense of honesty and openness which other people feel comfortable in acknowledging their strengths and areas are not so strong at how do you go from that to the other side being so honest and it actually doesn't foster trust what I mean by that is like, well, you know, Mark's been absolutely frank here. He's not really good at communications or whatever it is. So I can't really tell him X, Y, Z to get that covered because he's just going to let us down. And it, it then goes down through the, the thing. So there is a, a lack of trust in someone's competence. So how do you strike the balance between open and honesty in order to foster growth and encouragement and everyone else to be open and honest and competence whereas you, you're not saying too much and, and then destroying the morale.
1: I'm in a bit of a, a comfortable position because being a CEO is really being a generalist. So even though I've got um, a, you know, a strong uh, subject matter background, so I know about you know, what we sell at Leadership Trust. I, I'm not a finance person and I'm not a sales person. I'm not a marketing person. Um, so I need to know the top line of it. But then I've got the luxury of saying, you know, it's not my job to know it, but I want to know how it works. And so, for example, right now, the sales and marketing piece during the pandemic, the provision of learning and the sales and marketing of learning has completely changed, you know, because of the pandemic. <laughs> so I wanted to upskill myself to understand, you know, how do you better use, um, you know, digital marketing, social media, online communities, um, and these new types of marketing processes that I could see actually and this is sort of the meta element of learning is I enrolled in some courses and I could see how they were delivering their material and it was like, that is amazing so even though I was doing courses on how to market courses in itself I was learning a lot so my luxury is that it's easy for me to say I don't know anything about sales and marketing because it's not my job so now that I've gone through this training I'm a beginner at sales and marketing but I understand the, the bigger principles and so now I can say you know so I've dabbled in a few things and it's worked incredibly well so now I can go out to the team and say well if we had someone on the team who actually knows what they're doing imagine how we can really pour gasoline on the fire and really make it Explain. I was hesitating there because I thought it was a very bad <laughs> example considering the current circumstances um, but you know to, to really make it grow so I think you're right there's a, a balance to be hit in between admitting to ignorance and therefore being categorized as someone who doesn't know what they're talking about for me you solve this by doing something about it so If I came to you and I said, you know, if you were my boss and I say, look, you know, I the reason I want to learn this is because I think that this can help the company in this way. And I can see the application, but I just have to learn how to do it. You know, you'd probably say yes, because you can see the benefit of how me gaining that knowledge would help out with the common purpose.
0: It's interesting what you're saying there also about taking responsibility for one's own learning. And if you've got a culture that fosters that, that obviously makes it easier. But it seems to me that having responsible for oneself anyway is is a key thing to have a a positive impact both on oneself, but also those around and for whoever you you, uh, work with and for. So unpack that a little bit about the the self-responsibility
1: yeah and I think that's a really great question mark and this is where you can really see the difference in between learning and development so when it comes to learning skills it's very easy to take responsibility for that because now you can learn pretty much anything in the world by going onto YouTube you know I learned how to read balance sheets by going on to YouTube and having this really funny American guy in his basement in Florida explaining how things worked. Development is slightly different because it usually happens in a blind spot. So the real value in development is providing you with a new light on elements of yourself that you weren't aware of before. So it's, and that is more complicated because you don't know what you don't know. So I think it's more of a practice, you know, and I think that that's the hygiene of development, is that it's not necessarily something that comes from place of need because when you're not aware of it, you don't know what you're missing. So if I can give an example um, of that in my own development, um, I discovered very recently how there's a direct link in between personal boundaries and um, uh, margins. And And the reason with that is because if you don't have strong personal boundaries, in your life you don't have strong boundaries with your clients so we once had a client where we were organizing an event and we were still very much driven by you know client is king whatever they ask you give it to them except we hadn't read the whole thing that the client is king whatever they want you give it to them and you make them pay for it so with this particular client we reorganized the same event seven times because they wanted, to choose, they wanted to change the location of the event. So, you know, it had to be in this place, and then it was more convenient because... And we redid it seven times. And that was directly linked to us, you know, collectively, not daring to say to the client, well, you know, yes, we want to serve you, but in our contract it says this... And we're going to apply it because, you know, we didn't want to apply that boundary. We were worried that the client would walk away. We were worried that the client would think that we weren't, you know, going the extra mile. But, you know, that was seven extra miles (laughs) um, to make the event work. And so I would never have been aware of that if i hadn't done this piece of development and when it smacked me in between the eyes i was like oh my goodness so you know establishing boundaries in the workplace is directly linked to gross profit margin you know I, you you can't compute that before you've actually gone through it so there's an element of that development because my development is a is a continual practice you know i always work with new coaches you know well, It's not that I change coaches all the time, but, you know, there are coaches that are specialized in different areas. I'm always curious to see, you know, what new light can be provided to me on certain things. And this one has just been so, so interesting. But, you know, it only comes because I've got that, you know, hygiene of I'm always discovering things. And every time you go up in your career, you've got new challenges new things that pop up so it's not something that you do once and then you're fixed for a lifetime it's a continual practice and then you know just those constant surprises because you're having that practice um, and I think that's maybe a way to start talking about it more than coaching sessions it's a coaching practice that's ongoing
0: so it sounds like to me it's a matter of continuous learning you're, you're constantly learning it's that that uh, culture or attitude of learning aside from that you mentioned earlier that there's a taboo perhaps tended in that i've got to know everything whatever it is but certainly for some the idea of of seeking help or seeking a coach or counselor for that matter um would be a weakness where do you think that comes from is the first question, and the second question related to that is, what can we do about that?
1: That's a really, really good question. Uh, I don't think I have a an answer to that. I think I've got elements of response, um, and I think it, it's going to get better and better because we're removing stigma from mental health um, considerations. So. I think there's still very much a stigma that um, counseling or psychotherapy or coaching is a form of therapy. So that was one of my big things when I was in various forms of therapy. For me, the mere fact it's called therapy is a problem because it's not that I'm broken and I need fixing. It's I'm learning my own user guide. And if that's how we talked about it that you know you have these behaviors because this is your internal process map well there's nothing complicated about that but because it's called therapy it's all oh, you know you're a bit ill and you're a bit dirty you have to go to therapy to get better so I think there's still very much that stigma and that coaching is seen as a form of therapy you know people still think that you know, coach is a shrink, which is not the case. Um, you know, and I always go back for that when people mention that. You know, I say, well, Roger Federer, the best tennis player of, in my view, the history of tennis, he has a coach and it's not because he doesn't know how to play tennis. It's because he needs someone looking at him from the outside and giving feedback on what their point of view is telling them that he can't see because he is where he is. And you wouldn't go and tell Roger Federer that he's got a coach because he's not good at what he's doing. He's got a coach because it's a great element to help him perform even better. So I think in our profession, we've got a lot of work to do to get people to understand um, that um, coaching or other forms of support are there to help you perform even better rather than remedial coaching and I think that that's probably when coaching first started to become a bit more widespread um there was a lot of remedial coaching that was done it was like oh you know that person you know needs fixing bring the coach in so if you were offered a coach it was because you needed sorting out you know you weren't a good team player so there's all you know if if you need help it's because you can't do it on your own so I think um what we can do about it is you know proudly share that um you know we do coaching and it's a good thing to do and it's not because there's anything wrong with us Um, and I think you know we'll have we'll always have a job to convince other people you know and some people have very strong opinions about it but I think generally you know from a generationally I mean the people who are resistant to that growth or to that you know support form um, are sort of getting closer to the end of their career and the new generation I think is a lot more open to talking about um many things and there I think mental health organizations have done a fantastic job in taking away the stigma so we can talk a lot more about it and in a much easier way I think it's a gradual process really
0: to me that is part of the culture. I mean, certainly, uh, with people I've managed in the past, I've always encouraged. Certainly, since I've become a coach, at least, um, encouraged that coaching, coaching, coaching new, culture.
1: I love that new concept, coaching. <laughs> coaching. There you go. It was coaching. coined
0: here, coaching. <laughs> it's a coaching culture or coaching, exactly. um, where where it's normalized, and. Yeah if you have a a place that's like that, where you can be open and honest uh, about areas that you need to learn and and grow in, then it's good for everyone. But you need to have that position where we are kind of signed up to that. And there's an element of trust there. Now that's not going to be right for everyone, you know, and I I think that's perhaps where it's clear where boundaries are and, and where you know, perhaps as an organisation, this is where we are or this is, this is what we stand for. So that people can then think, well, OK, that's not for me, because that's not going to work for everyone. Now, I can stand back, obviously, as a coach and say, well, I think that's the best way and it's going to make you stronger. But as you sort of made reference to earlier, you can't make someone do something. And it comes back really to what you're talking about in regards to a, a manager helping to develop someone there has to be an engagement with an individual name they, they need to want to and you're not there to say why well, you must do this because that's not going to be beneficial for for either party
1: yeah. and I think that there's a very um you know what you were saying about boundaries is really important and respect for where that person is in their development yeah you know, even though I'm a huge consumer of you know, coaching and other forms of support there are some times where I, I you know a lot of changes happening and then it just has to sit in a corner for a bit so I'm not available for it and I think respecting that development trajectory is also really important so I know that some companies have tried sort of compulsory you know like whatever quarterly meeting with your career coach or something and um i think there's a balance to be held in between it being completely employee driven you know individually driven and company policy so i'm not quite sure i think it's i'm not quite sure what the solution is probably a case-by-case basis and that's where leadership is even more important
0: (laughs) Exactly. I think uh, an observation as well would be it's often when people feel something is being done to them Mm. that they will bulk or become stressed or not want to do it because they have no involvement. And rather than someone feeling something's been done to them, they want to feel, well, I'm involved in this. It's a two way process whether that at that point that two-way process is happy for them they're happy to step back and say no i'm happy for you to do that i don't want any involvement that's fine but it's often the freedom of choice and when someone feels their choice has been taken away and it's like we are doing this that can be very um stressful
1: and create huge resistance absolutely for then and in the future you know coaching had been forced onto me it would probably have broken the whole attraction of coaching there and forever. But I thought I've just got three points on um, so I shared what we are responsible for as leaders when it comes to our um, teammates colleagues um, development what we're not responsible for. So if you're responsible for Uh, creating a fertile environment for learning and development where people feel safe in learning in taking the initiative of their learning in being interested in their development you've done your job as a leader and if you're role modeling that interest in learning and development and constant growth um, you really have done your job Um, What is not your job is doing the development itself. So whilst you can use coaching skills to get the very best out of your team by using coaching skills to help them do their job, coaching them as a a boss is not your direct responsibility or should not be expected. If you do have that relationship with them and you are a qualified coach, and you have that relationship, that's great. But by default, it's not your responsibility. One, because they might want to talk about you in their coaching sessions, uh, but also because coaching is a real job. You need a lot of training to be able to do it properly. Um, and it's a lot of work. It's it, it takes up a lot of time, which is not your job. <laughs> um, so you can't be expected to coach your own team and deliver on your day job the development itself so um you know whether it's coaching or whether it's training itself or whether it's organizing the um you know off-site events where you can you know get to the bottom of the team dynamics and all of that that is also a very um skillful um job which People are trained to do that. They do that every day, um, and I think it's really important not to take that responsibility yourself. Facilitated meetings are great. Um, you know, all the leadership development um, that you can hope for is available out there. So, delegate. You know, call on professionals to do that job because yes it might cost a bit of money but the return on investment will be much better than if you're doing it yourself because also if you're doing it yourself you can't take part in it and that team dynamic cannot function without you so delegate that to someone else and actually my my last point really is you know it's the same about the the training more than the development so you know any skills training you know there are people out there who who teach the skills uh, that are required. So it's not your job either to to train them. You can make them want uh, to train and get them excited about it. But the actual doing, uh, make sure that that's delegated to others.
0: So it sounds like one of the key things there is the delegation. It's recognising what you can do and how you as a CEO or as a manager can encourage um, as a leader, uh, others to grow and, and feed and providing the opportunity but it's also recognizing what isn't your skill set and that there are people who can much more effectively not just in terms of their their background and skill set but also utilization of time can support your people to do that oh, absolutely support. yeah we're going to move on to finish up and could you tell me an interesting fact about yourself or something you're most proud of and they may be one of the same or they may be two separate things
1: there's quite a few
0: um,
1: but I'll stick to one and in the the theme of this podcast I think probably what I'm most proud of is my own personal development because of the impact I can see it has on others so Going through your own development, it can be a painful process. You know, you've got a lot, you know, growing is not necessarily a comfortable process. I've set up an organisation in France that matches rescue horses with veterans. And one of our um, veterans is going into the circuit to qualify for the Paris 2024 Olympics on one of our horses. So I'm very proud of the whole um thing and i got a phone call from the head of operations and she was very upset because the feed for the horse um was wrong and i said oh what's happened because you know the trainer had come and he was looking at the the performance of the horses and he was like oh you know they don't they're not um endurant enough to take to to become you know, get them to Grand Prix and she was really upset she thought she'd made a terrible mistake and it's only because our horses have been going up the levels and you don't feed a horse the same food when they're operating at Grand Prix than when they're operating you know much earlier in the circuit so I completely reframed it to her and I said but you know it's because we're not beginners anymore you know, so this is a sign of success. And for her, it was, you know, this complete revelation. that It's not that she'd made a mistake or she'd got it wrong. It's just, you're doing really well. And that's why the change has to happen. And to see how it, you know, the light bulb going off in her head, I saw it happening and I could see the pride. the better, And I would not have been able to do that if I hadn't done all of the development that I've done. So I think seeing the impact that I have on other people as a result of my development is one of the things I'm proudest of.
0: That's really powerful and uh, that's a lovely uh, story as well. Um, okay so favourite song or piece of music?
1: I think anything played by a wonderful lady called Suji Napa. Uh, so she is an amazing leader in the field of Baroque music. She plays Viola de Gamba. Um, she specializes in Baroque music. And the, the Baroque period is a really interesting one in the history of music because it was it was pretty much probably the equivalent of punk rock, you know, in the, the 20th century when it, it came out because it was, um, you know, so at odds with music before that. Um, And she has amazing interpretations of it. And she is so open to so many different styles. On one piece, uh, John Sebastian Bach wrote an opera but didn't get to finish it. And um, she was involved in imagining what the end of this opera would sound like and she got DJs involved, um, she got the rock musicians, and it was just like this amazing collaboration. And people might have this belief that um, classical music can be very stifled, but she brings so much air and curiosity and creativity into it. Um, so anything played by Susie Knapper.
0: So what's really exciting about that is I'm very much into fusion. So I had a years ago now i, I did a collaborative piece i headed up based out of uh, desert island disc so the, the radio Four, and it was in response to something paul gambaccini said when he was talking about un- underrepresentation of certain music he said well that's because of the dynamic of the people we listen to and i was like well hold on a minute i'm not really sure i like what you're saying there because you're pigeonholing people in terms of who listens to what so I basically went out and did this questionnaire with loads of people from various backgrounds and took their portraits. I took their song choices and they had lots of different styles of music. And what was really interesting is that across the board, most people had classical music, regardless of whoever they were. It didn't necessarily mean they really loved classical music, but it meant something to them. And it was, it was interesting as well how people would choose music because of the part of that you were in, in in life at that time so anyway it came to the 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 launch night and i had a poet a dancer and a friend of mine's a dj and so he mixed Rachmaninoff with reggae so he had literally the whole gambit of this different stuff and then i had someone dance. it was so cool oh God, no but
1: that's amazing for me this is leadership <laughs> in any setting you know leadership isn't just business and politics it's leadership in music what you achieved required amazing leadership skills
0: and what oh, susie is achieving th- yeah. well yeah thank you i'll try and dig out the video and you can um i'd love that tell me about a person you admire
1: actually um i would talk about uh manon so manon Um, is the you know head of stables head of operations everything um, in the horse initiative that I'm involved with it's just everything about her she just she works so hard she's so determined um, and she's so loving and caring um, and um, you know she's no nonsense but you know you can see the love she has for all of the animals, the, you know, the stable is cleaner than my house, you know, she's a killer for hygiene, you know, and that's really, really important with horses. When it comes to leadership, we always think of, you know, these big, um, noisy, loud people, you know, who go off and do amazing, heroic things. But she, you know, quietly in, in the background you know, her leadership is incredible. And, you know, if things are going the way they're going, it's, you know, everyone's contributing. But that quiet, no-nonsense, getting things done leadership, I think is something that's very overlooked. So I wanted to highlight it here.
0: Favourite food?
1: Oh, uh, Vietnamese pho, no doubt.
0: <laughs> and why particularly?
1: Well, my dad was born in Vietnam. Very complex life story. Grew up in a Japanese concentration camp. Parents fled, lived with his grandparents. Um, And he never returned to Vietnam. So he left when he was six. Um, I think it was a bit of a painful um, experience. And when I started my career and I was making... um, good money at the time I always said to him you know he funded my um, a part of my studies and you know my gift to him was to go back to Vietnam with him and on our evening our first evening in Hanoi we just walked out and we had this amazing bowl of soup you know and we've been having this soup forever in our family but you know it was just the two of us we sat down on these little stalls on the side of the street and it was this little old man that had you know an enormous vat of broth and just dished it all out and it smelled amazing and we were tired and jet-lagged and it was just like this wonderful intimate moment with my father so emotion is all is in food and this one definitely carries a lot of it that's
0: amazing thank you a favorite place
1: so I hesitate um in there so the stables definitely is one of them, but one of my favourite places at the moment is uh, my flying school. So I'm taking um, my pilot license, and I absolutely love uh, my flying school. It's one of the few flying schools that is owned and led by a female female pilot. Um, my flying teacher is an experiential flying teacher, so my first lesson. With him, I did take off and landing, and he didn't seem to panic. <laughs> that was a good thing. Um, and it's just a wonderful place for me because my day job, I deal with in human emotions. You know, that's what I do. So going to a hangar where everything is mechanical engineering, you press on a button, this is going to happen. If it doesn't start, it's because you've got to do this. And it's very, very restful. <laughs> me to just be able to be with machines that do as they're told every so often. So it's a, a good rest for my emotional intelligence organ.
0: i imagine quite freeing as well. Yes,
1: definitely.
0: Finally, a favourite book, film or video game, or all three?
1: Well, I must confess I am a bit of a Game of Thrones fan. I think it's the best account of human nature
0: since Shakespeare. Well, thank you. Thank you for your, your time, Leah, and uh, really insightful uh, stuff for sharing. So thanks for coming along.
1: Well, thank you, Mark, for having me and I look forward to the next one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Until next time, remember, help people feel valued. Listen, don't just
1: hear.